Oh, we don't. If you take a look at the screen up here. Oh, come on. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. People have asked me uh, what I would like for my birthday. Oh, come on. Really? All right, I'll just set that over there. You can look at it the whole time. We'll see. Okay, high, high school youth trip, um, and you'll be out in the hallway? Okay. I, no, I think we're over there. We'll, we'll ask somebody smarter than us, and they'll tell us. Well, good morning. Um, good to be with you here today. Um, I want to introduce, are they still here? Yes, there they are. Uh, back getting some water and coffee and donuts. Uh, my parents, Jay and Jean McKay, uh, surprised me on Friday uh, driving in from Kansas City. So would you please give them a warm who's your welcome? And uh, they'll, they'll be, they came to early service. They'll be sneaking out here because there's uh, some ice and snow on the roads and that sort of thing. So and I made them promise they wouldn't be driving too late into the evening getting home. So they'll be headed back. So thanks, Mom and Dad, for uh, coming out and surprising me this weekend uh, for my birthday. We don't get a chance as a family to always celebrate birthdays together, so it was kind of a special treat for me. Um, let's see. I think all the other announcements have pretty much been made. We've got Men's Steak Night. Make sure you sign up for that. We just need to know how many steaks to cut and how much food to fix, okay? Now, if, if you, if you want to come and you didn't sign up and you don't know until that day, just come We'll figure it out. We can always run down to Kroger and buy another steak out of the fridge or something like that. So just just come. We want you here and do that as well. Sign-up sheets. Uh, don't forget, uh, if you've got kids, 5th uh, through 8th grade, uh, let's make sure our slots are filled for Acolytes and for Crucifer, and then also uh, for Ushers as well. We've got plenty of people. Uh, just need to, to organize that and make sure we're taking care of business uh, and that sort of thing. And lastly, just as you see faces you don't know, I know this becomes, as you come every Sunday, you kind of you fall into your circle of people. But if you see a face you don't know, um, go offer your hand and, and introduce yourself. And if you're uncomfortable doing that, come find one of us, and we'll do that for you and, and, and help you not only make a new friend, but, but uh, welcome uh, people as well, okay? Uh, blessings as well. We've got a lot of uh, college students that are headed back uh, here this next week. Uh, some students are on J-term. And so uh, they're at home for a little while, so keep all of them in your prayers as well. Um, lots of stuff going on, okay? And uh, obviously stuff in the news to pray about, so hopefully your daily prayers are also uh, being guided by your neighbor's need, not just here at home but around the world, okay? So uh, we continue to lift up uh, those not only that are over us and that uh, lead and guide us, uh, but all of our neighbors that are in need, trusting our Heavenly Father's uh, desire and gracious provision. Okay, here endeth the introduction. Anything I missed? Are we good? 
Now, I think before we begin, I have us on page 108, first full paragraph. Is that correct? Or did we get further than that last week? Who is a really good secretary that's been following along in the book? Because I have notes all over in my book, and I can't remember where we ended. Well, this is where we're going to start. That's just what it's going to be. So, thanks for your help. Not. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Father in heaven, at the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan River, you proclaimed him your beloved son, and you anointed him with the Holy Spirit. Make all who are baptized in his name faithful in their calling as your children and inheritors with him of everlasting life. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. So we are on chapter, which one is this here? I always forget the chapter numbers. Chapter 7, the sacrament of the altar. Uh, This is the book, The Saving Truth Doctrine for Lay People, uh, by uh, Reverend Professor uh, Kurt Marquardt. Uh, So first full paragraph on uh, page 108 in the uh, paper copy. This whole discussion is concerned not with the mode or manner of Christ's presence, as is sometimes claimed, but whether his body and blood are really there at all, right? So remember last week, just to review, we talked about, uh, repeat this word after I say it, receptionism. Receptionism is is false. Don't believe it nor fall into it. Receptionism is is simply this. My faith, my belief, makes a thing what it is. So when receptionism is applied in terms of the Lord's Supper or the sacrament of the altar, people will say this, well, it's only the body and blood of Jesus if, if what? If I believe it, okay? Now, this is completely false. And if you hear this, you should run away like a Monty Python film, screaming your bloody head off. Run away, run away, flee. That's false teaching. What makes a thing what it is according to Scripture? And Luther emphasizes this over and over again in the small catechism. What makes the body and blood of Jesus there in the bread and the wine? The Word. Say it with me. The Word, the Word, the Word. The Word of God makes a thing what it is. Okay, the Word that created the whole world... And the word is not just the, the, the verbal, the vivivox, the living, the very voice of Christ, the vivivox Christe. Uh, it is Christ himself, the word oral, the word divine, and it's that word that does the work. And thus the pastors now speak that word, and that word now takes simple bread and wine and makes it the body and blood of Jesus. And you say, amen. Very good. You say amen. That's your word. You say Amen. Now, receptionism would would take all that away from our Lord Jesus Christ. Would take all the power and authority away from Jesus, from the Word, and instead locate the didymus and exousia, the power and authority inside of you. Shame on postmodernism and shame on Christians and Lutherans who try and take all that stuff and and shove it into interpretation of the Bible and the words of our Lord. Because it's so simple. Jesus says it's there. I believe he has the power and authority to do that. Amen. And it is so. Okay? Same thing when you hear that your sins are forgiven. You say amen. Same thing when you're told early service people that in your baptism you are robed with the righteousness of Christ. 
that you die to your sin and that you also rise to new life in Christ. And so in that way, there are really two resurrections. One you might say is spiritual that you go through every day. The second awaits the physical resurrection when Christ returns. Okay? So it all comes down to the power and authority of the Didymus and Exousia. Didymus, by the way, is where we get the word dynamite. Okay? That's the, that's the power. And so Christ now has been given all this. We confess that in our ecumenical creeds. Okay, let's move on unless there's any hands up on any of those points. Good? Okay. If one person were to insist, and now we go back to this Charles thing as he talked about before. Remember we talked about the icon, and I told you the story of the Greek Orthodox priest that I bought a motorcycle from, and we rode motorcycles around, and I went into his house, and he had had all these icons, all these pictures, and he and I had a debate about whether these saints that were representing the icon were really there or not, whether there was a divine connection through the pictures, and I said no, and he said yes, and then we had a beer and went and rode motorcycles and didn't kill each other. Um, and, 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 and so he's back to the Charles thing. So if one person were to insist that Charles himself had been in the room on a certain occasion, this is the picture of Charles on the wall, while another says that only Charles' picture had been there, then it would be dishonest to pretend that the quarrel is only about how, not whether, Charles had been there. The Charles party might have to, quote, smoke out the picture party with questions like these. Was Charles there three-dimensionally? Three-dimensionally. Did he move? That would be really weird. What did he say? Right? And you've seen the movies or even the cartoons, right? Scooby-Doo, it would always freak me out. Because every time in almost every, you know, Scooby-Doo one, there was a picture of a guy on the wall or a gal, and the eyes would move. Right? And then when I was little, my dad took me to an art museum in St. Louis. And I kept... <laughs> Are those eyes moving? <laughs> Is there a mystery here? I mean, it kind of freaked you out, right? Sorry to give you nightmares tonight, but okay. So, the more fudging about the issue, the more seemingly far-fetched and hair-splitting the questions might need to become. The object of these questions would be not to quibble about technicalities, but to keep fancy talk about a picture from passing as genuine discourse about Charles. Now, let me go on here. Let's see if you can pick up what he's laying down. It is tragic that many modern Lutherans have so far forgotten their confessions that they can endorse Weasley-worded compromises like the Lewinberg Concord from 1973 and the Lima Statement from 1982. Now, to most of you here, that probably means absolutely nothing, and I'm just going to move on here. I could give you background, but let's not get tied up in that. Some even allege that both Reformed Calvinist and Lutheran traditions have strongly affirmed the real presence of Christ in the sacraments, and that the real differences were about the mode of Christ's presence. But these should not divide the churches. And such claims directly contradict the Book of Concord. One cannot knowingly advance them and at the same time swear to uphold the Lutheran confessions without thereby perjuring oneself. So what he is saying is... I'll summarize. Anybody want to try, though? What is he saying? That where Christ speaks, all right, where there is a mandatum, where there is mandate, then there is conservation, there is faith, there is trust. So when Jesus says, this is my body, this is my blood, we trust the word does the work, and we say the body and blood are there. Do we understand the how? No. 
Do we need to? No. Faith trusts the word of Christ. Now, the problem, of course, is with others who would say, well, how is he really there? You know? Okay, so it's, it's, a, it's a picture of Charles on the wall. We all agree it's Charles. Can't we? Since we all say it's, it's Charles, that's enough, right? But is it really Charles or really not Charles? So in the Lord's Supper, we say it really is the body and blood of Jesus. Don't get caught up in the Charles thing. But we just say that's what it is, and we trust that. But others would say, yeah, the Lord's Supper is about Jesus, but it doesn't really matter whether he's really there or not, or whether it is his body and blood. Now, a few weeks ago I told you, and for some of you, you might have to go back. I don't know how much you were involved with this. And, and uh, by the way, welcome back, Pastor Feeney. Could you, could you stand up real quick? Uh, he was here last Sunday and uh, was able to ba- baptize uh, his grand. I know you don't like this, but I'm going to do it anyway. He's been down uh, working very diligently in the Cayman Islands and uh, have made great strides down there. The gospel has borne some great fruit, and we are going to continue to pray for the work down there in the Caymans. Okay? Uh, but one of the challenges, and, and you correct me if I misstate this in any way, is that... Uh, Having a Lutheran presence down there is greatly needed because there are, if I understand it, no other real churches that believe and practice what we're talking about here. Is that fair? Okay. So thank you for your work. Could you just thank the Lord for him real quick and his work and for bringing... and for bringing him and Solve back with us, right? Um, and, and this is, you, you just have no idea what a blessing this is, not just for me as a pastor, but for you as a congregation, to know that these teachings and this practice extend beyond the walls here where we are in Zionsville, okay? And how important that is for people who are taught <laughs> or, or not taught anything regarding how the Lord breaks into this world and the gifts that Christ so freely gives, because it's through those gifts that forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation come. Okay? And that's why we do every Sunday, and that's why we're part of the larger church, and that, and that needs to continue to, to, to such a great degree. Okay? But back into the 90s, there was something known as, the, known as the Joint Declaration of Justification. Raise your hand if you know what that is, besides you pastors. The Joint Declaration of Justification. Really? This was a huge deal. You might have heard about it, a few of you, way back when. Okay? This was an attempt by Rome, Roman Catholic, to summarize a statement on justification that other churches would agree with, thus bringing in other denominations in a more refined ecumenical way. Okay? Um, and we actually have a, a connection, <laughs> and that's why I thought of you earlier, uh, through uh, Reverend Dr. Daniel Preuss, who did a complete study of the Joint Declaration of Justification and found in examining um, uh, 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 papal documents that this Joint Declaration of Justification was all a charade. It was all a charade. The goal was simply to evangelize all the other Christian denominations, and we'll say what we think we can all find agreement on, but the goal is to bring all these other denominations into the church because only in the Roman Catholic Church they teach is their salvation. Okay? Now, we as Missouri Synod, thanks be to God, would not sign this document. Okay? 
You should give thanks to God for uh, a gentleman at the time, uh, Reverend Dr. Al Berry, who actually stood his ground on this at the time. Okay? And, and, and none of our leaders or presidents of synod have ever been or will ever be perfect, by the way. So if there's any people that don't like Barry in here, that's okay. You might not like me or Pastor Feeney either. Uh, there's always differences with your leaders, but he stood his ground on this point. Great conservative man. We actually have some of the pamphlets uh, that he wrote out in our narthex. Okay? Um, and, uh, um, and he actually just kind of edited some of them. Most of them were written by, by uh, one of my readers for my dissertation, but that's another story for another day. Um, so the point is that there will always be uh, the devil and the world that are seeking to get you and the church to compromise your and her confession. So that's why we talk about these things. That's why we're studying these things to make sure we understand very clearly what the Word of God is doing and how it speaks. Let's move on to the next paragraph unless there's something else. I took a little tangent there. Forgive me. The unhappy example, top of the page 109, of transubstantiation, and keep in mind we took a little historical and, and philosophical road trip or head trip back to the 12th and 13th centuries with St. Thomas Aquinas and, and Aristotelian philosophy and how that was applied to the Lord's Supper and led to transubstantiation, that, that it, there's, a, there's a change from uh, you know, bread and wine to the body and blood of Christ, and, and, and the bread and wine are, are only the, the accidents right, that, that are kind of left over. And I also shared with you, as I, as I have talked with many Roman Catholic priests and a few theologians that don't like some of that talk, and that heartens me that they don't officially like some of that, but, but uh, when you're part of such a big beast like the Roman Catholic Church, you, you get what you get and you don't throw a fit, right? And sometimes we fall into that in the Missouri Synod, too. But anyway, let's move on. I'm going to get myself in trouble, as I always do. So, um, the unhappy example of transubstantiation should serve as a warning to avoid all attempts to explain the sacramental presence. Right? It's like trying to explain the Trinity. I mean, I've had pastors, and I've sat in and teachers. I've had them use you know, apples and fruit and, and ice and ice water. You can't explain the Trinity. Just stop trying. Okay? And, 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 I, and I, I love the zeal and the zest of maybe Sunday school teachers who come and, oh, I got this great idea to explain the Trinity. And I nod my head and I smile. <laughs> and, I, and I'm kind of saying inside my head, good luck with that. Okay, because with the Trinity, it, I mean, like with the Lord's Supper, it, it, you, you can't really explain it. You speak the word of God, faith receives that. Now, I'm not saying you, you, you don't teach, right? And so you teach, but you, you let the word of God create that. So people, if they're struggling with the Trinity, I say, well, you know, all I can tell you is what Scripture says. So then I go to Scripture. We go to Genesis 1, we go to, you know, John 1, we go to Jesus' high priestly prayer. I mean, there's a lot of places you can kind of go uh, that talk about, uh, talk about that. Obviously, the word Trinity, and if you talk to your Reformed friends, oh, the word Trinity doesn't occur anywhere in the Bible. You know, well, you're right, okay? But you want to play that game, we could do that with a lot of words, okay? Uh, but it certainly does teach that, that concept. Okay, now I went on another tangent. Okay. 
So the unhappy example of transubstantiation should serve as a warning to avoid all attempts to explain the sacramental presence, right? So the Didymus and Exotheta is in, is in the Word, and the Word creates it and reveals it, and we in trust and faith simply say, but does not the traditional Lutheran, in with an under formula, also fall into that trap? Now listen to where, this is a little bit of a, uh, a hobby horse for Marquardt. I, I kind of warned you about this a couple weeks ago, but I think he is completely you know, I think he's going the right direction with this, but let, let's see how you, how you handle it. Actually, these words, in, with, and under, explain nothing, nor are they meant to. I can just hear him talking. It's kind of interesting. They serve simply to avoid transubstantiation on the one hand, while stressing on the other hand the fact that the Savior has attached the gifts of his body and blood to external bread and wine, not to intangible transactions between faith and who knows what. The small catechism and the German of the Augsburg, Augsburg Confession have the word under, and the large catechism has in and under. The word with, used by Melanchthon in his altered Augsburg Confession of 1540, is too weak to stand by itself and lends itself to slippery evasions. Right? Think back to the, the picture of Charles when, we use the, when he talks about the word with. In, with, and under language is misunderstood if it is taken as a retreat from the blunt statement of the small called articles that, and let's read it together, the bread and the wine in the supper are the true body and blood of Christ. Now, there is a famous rhyme attributed to Queen Elizabeth I that puts it rather well. You want to read a little poetry with me? Here we go. "'Twas God the word that spake it, he took the word and break it. And what the word did make it, that I believe and take it." You see, the what of the sacrament, then, is all important. The how holds no interest. Since we know nothing about this mode of presence, we simply call it sacramental. And remember, sacrament, okay, a Latin word for the Greek word mystery, mysterion, okay? So, so the, this, is, this is a mystery. Paul says men ought to consider us, pastors, those appointed as stewards of the mysteries of Christ, Okay, so the term sacramental signals that this presence of Christ's body and blood is unique to the sacrament of the altar and cannot be explained. It also distinguishes this mode of presence from the ordinary visible sort, for of course the sacred elements are not present in pounds or inches. Unlike the bread and wine, the truly present Lord's body and blood are not present in a gross, material, quantifiable way, but rather in a supernatural and incomprehensible manner, right? So is the body and blood of Jesus really there in and under the bread and the wine when he says it? Yeah. Yeah. Now, listen to this. That becomes important because the enemies of Christ's Supper have always burlesqued this holy mystery in coarse, cannibalistic butcher shop terms. Such crass, sacrilegious fantasies are usually rejected as a Capernaetic eating and drinking, so named actually because of the scoffers at Capernaum. You can read about that in John 6. Yet God, of course, will not be mocked. So, we trust that Jesus is there in the bread and wine, even though it doesn't look, taste, touch, see like human flesh, which would 
be pretty nasty if that actually took place. Okay? But it's there. How and why? Because he says so. Okay? And the thanks be to God, it tastes like bread and wine, and it's still bread and wine at the same time, right? Otherwise, it's just, we don't really want to think about it, right? I mean, it's a Hannibal Lecter sort of thing. You just don't want to deal with that, okay? Um, you know, so what was her name, the detective? Clarice. Clarice. I can hear his voice. Good actor, okay. All right, sorry about that. Get you something else in your brain. All right, any comments on that before we move to the next page? Clarice. <laughs> Hold on, over here first. I think be, for two reasons. One, because there have been other others that have taught that is doesn't mean is. Okay? So because others have taught that is means symbolize, represents, there is then or has been a natural attempt to define, you know, is in that sense. Okay? Um, you're correct. I mean, is, is means is. Um, and I had a second reason, and I just forgot it. Pastors in the audience, how do you want to answer her question? Why, do, why, why have we used in, with, and under instead of just concentrating on is? Any of you want to touch that? Let's see if... Right. So the whole in and under that the bread and wine are, are, are still there. So, um, gosh, I don't know. I don't know if I want to go this direction or not. I did have a professor once that put some mathematical equations up on the board and said is is the same as an equal sign, right? So you still have bread and wine on one side of the equation, and now you have body and blood on the other side of the equation, okay? There's two sides to the equation, right? It's not that you're, you eliminate one side of the equation. They're equal to each other. They're, they're all four there. So I don't know if that's... See, see, when we start getting into the how, it gets kind of dicey, doesn't it? I mean, it does. But, but uh, certainly in and under and with, uh, we're, we are simply saying it's a further... I would defend it, you know, in this way. I would say it's just a further explanation of what is means. Is that, is that fair, pastors and other academics? Would you add anything else? Yeah, go ahead. Oh, wait, i got to go up here first. She's ready to fall asleep. Oh, you forgot it. Okay. <laughs> That's why I took longer, so okay. Yeah. Right? Yeah. One more? And then I'll Real presence without transubstantiation. So providing they have a framework, at least for defining real presence, right? You've got terms defined and transubstantiation. Absolutely. Yep, that would work. Mr. Long?
Ja. Amen. Yep. Nope. That's what. That's well said. And so, and sometimes when we when we when we have the whole discussions, how many angels dance on the head of a pin, and we we dive into things that Scripture, whether it's matters of adiaphora, things that Scripture doesn't command or or uh, or speak of, um, and that's that's fun to do. But at some point, we just have to come back to the simple, God said. Right. God, God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Okay. Um, and, and leave it at that. And, and that truly is faith. So, you know, I've had a lot of people over the years, and, and, I'm, and I'm sure retired pastors could, could speak to this much better than I can. I'm kind of picking on you guys a lot today. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I've had people that have, that w- when they've been struggling with an issue from Scripture, will, will often come and say, you know, and, and be worried about it. I'm really wrestling with this. And is this a sign that I'm losing my faith? Or that I'm, you know, I'm really, you know, is it is it okay to be asking questions, right? That sort of thing, because because sometimes you're almost like, well, just just simply accept it. Say one, you're you're a sinner at the same time you're a saint. You always will be. So you always be fighting that within you. Okay. Two, the precious gospel is Christ says, I know my sheep. My sheep know me. No one can snatch them out of my my hand. You are His, right? Uh, and so you, you take that person back and say, look at what's happened. Are you baptized? Well, if you are, here's the promise for you. Okay. Um, secondly, it's good to investigate those things. But again, at some point, when we can't fully understand that, and God hasn't, hasn't given that to us from Scripture, okay, then we just simply say, God said. And that's the hardest thing sometimes for people to get over. Okay, uh, especially if they're the type of person, I'm not going to get into all the different personality types, that's wired where everything has to add up or everything has to be orderly. Okay, and the God is a God of order, but it's his order. Okay, all right, I'm going to stop there because otherwise I'm going to make this big gigantic hole I can't climb out of. Are we good? Anybody, any other hands? Okay, let's move on. Okay, let me see where we're at here. Okay. So, sacrament or sacrifice, top of page 110. What is to be done with the holy gifts in our Lord's Supper? His instructions to us are, let's read it together, take, eat, given for you, drink, poured out for you. So the supper is pure gift. All we can do with it is to receive it. It is offered by God to us, not by us to God. To be sure the receiving is to be done, quote, in remembrance of him, what the remembrance, yet the remembrance happens by the very reception and celebration of what is here given. To proclaim Christ's death, 1 Corinthians 11.26, is to announce, preach, and distribute the treasures of salvation which come to us through his blessed death. And we can compare 1 Peter 2 verse 9. Let's read it together. For you, for the forgiveness of sins, says the Lord. Of course, where there is forgiveness of sins, there is also life and salvation. Obviously, that's not 1 Peter 2 verse 9. Now, how did this downward direction of the sacraments come to be reversed into the upward thrust of, quote, the sacrifice of the Mass? In part, it occurred through misunderstanding. In the ancient church, uh, the love offerings were often given in kind. 
Actual food was brought for distribution to the poor. Naturally, not all of this could be placed on the altar. Some of the bread and wine to be used for the sacrament was brought forward to represent the rest. So St. Augustine, for instance, pointed to the cup of wine offering and told his congregation, you are in that cup. We do the same today when we present offering plates full of money and ask God to receive these gifts together with our bodies, souls, and all that we are and have. For the offering is nothing if it is not a token of a larger whole that is of our self-giving. Now this offering of ourselves, whether with money or with bread and wine, is not the sacrament or any part of it. It constitutes rather our feeble response to God's great gifts. And the sacrament is not God's response to our offering, rather our offering responds to his sacrament. Okay? Now, uh, Dr. Art Just uh, did all of the filming here at Advent, correct me if I misunderstand this, Pastor Feeney and others, uh, for his Bible study series on the liturgy. Okay? How many of you have seen that, that, that study or watched that study? Raise your hand. Just a hand? Really? It was done here at Advent. We're going to have to do that sometime. It's really funny because it would have been 12 or 13 years ago when I first, my second call back in Nebraska where you called me from, they hadn't used the hymnal for 15, 20 years. They'd been stuck on a creative worship, contemporary Christian music puke spin cycle. And they had survived that, thankfully, um, and now when they found out there were, there were actually new hymnals coming out, they said, wow, there's a hymnal, and we've heard it has services inside it. We don't have to print a 20-page bulletin every Sunday. We can save some money. And so that was part of the reason I took the call there, uh, you know, because they said, will you teach us the liturgy? We, we, you know, and we, 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 some of us grew up with it. We don't understand it. Yeah, I'd love to teach you the liturgy. And so the first Bible study we did, do you remember, Mrs. McKay, was the study that was actually done here at Advent on the liturgy. And I'm so thankful for Dr. Just's work in that regard, okay, because it helped to kind of teach why we do what we do. Now, the reason I bring that up is Marquardt here talks about the offerings that are given at the altar, and in the early church, keep in mind, they didn't have, as they, as they first started, the space and place that we did, that, that we have, that we're used to. Uh, a lot of times, uh, the, the, the churches would take place uh, in, in, in sometimes businesses or shops. And so, you know, there, there would be one little, and, and Dr. Just does a really good job with this, there'd be one little, little area that they would use to worship, and, and there'd be an, the, an altar that would be there, from which they would then take, receive the sacrament of the altar. And there would often be a second altar off to the side or in the shop next door. And what would they do at the second altar? They would bring all of the diaconal gifts, all of the gifts for the poor, the widowed, and the orphans. Okay, But they still recognized it as an altar. So from the Lord they would receive the body and blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins... At, at this other second altar would be gathered now food, clothing, all of these things that then would be, would be taken and distributed to other people. Okay? Now, some of that still continues where, 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 where I came from further 
in the Midwest, further west. It's very common, I don't know if we ever did it here, that around Thanksgiving or kind of Mission Sundays, there would be in-gatherings of, you name it, canned goods, diapers, and, and where do those get gathered? Any of you come from other churches that, that would do this? They'd get gathered up around the altar, right? And so you'd see this big stack of kind of stuff around the altar, okay? Now, I kind of like things orderly, and I just don't like it because it kind of just messes up the way it looks. <laughs> but, you know, I don't have a problem with it. I guess in, in some sense, because, it, you know, I mean, we, we, you, you put your money in your gifts, you know, and I, and I guess if you have an issue with bringing other stuff up there, you shouldn't probably have the offering plates anywhere up front, right, if you're going to do that. And there actually are some churches that leave offering plates in the back. Did you know that? Because they, they don't want to confuse. It depends on how you teach these things is really what it comes down to, okay? But, but the understanding that, that the Lord is doing his work for us, and, and, and now what he gives to us, uh, we are to share with our neighbor, right? Um, so we are to be stewards that of, of that which God has given. Okay. I don't know if that was helpful or hurtful. Some of you probably email me and call me on something. So uh, hands up, anyone? No, we're good. All right, got about five minutes. See how far we can get. Uh, let me figure out where. Oh, during the Middle Ages, right? During the Middle Ages, the response came to be confused with the sacrament itself. The end result was the bizarre idea that Christ's body and blood are being sacrificed anew in the sacrament, right? So now what are the, the gifts that are being given? No, no, it, it's no longer just the bread and clothing and food for your neighbor. Now it's the body and blood of Jesus with that being given to who? Up to God. See the reversal? So, so, so complete you know, misunderstanding, Okay. So the end result was a bizarre idea that Christ's body and blood are being sacrificed anew in the sacrament for the sins of the living and the dead. Some even claim that although Christ's one sacrifice on the cross paid for original sin, the oft-repeated, quote, sacrifice of the Mass made up for daily actual sins. Now, modern Roman Catholic scholars themselves are often unhappy with the language of the Council of Trent, which insisted on the Mass being a true and proper and propitiatory sacrifice. So there are two possible kinds of sacrifice, the propitiatory and the Eucharistic. Now, a sacrifice is propitiatory if it actually makes up to God for human sin and so satisfies his justice. Eucharistic, okay, sacrifices do not atone or pay for sin, but offer praise, adoration, and thanksgiving to God for mercies received from him. The word Eucharistic uh, comes from the Greek word eucharizo, uh, for giving thanks. Okay? Since it is rude to receive even ordinary gifts without saying thank you, how much more so in the case of God's gift in the sacrament? Ooh, good one. The communion preface rightly exhorts us, let us give thanks to the Lord our God. And this is why the whole sacramental action came to be called the Eucharist. Indeed, it is most appropriate to concentrate our thanksgiving here where Christ gives himself to us boldly. One can, of course, offer thanks anywhere. But Christ prays not any general gratitude of the nine lepers, but instead the specific thanksgiving of the tenth who return to honor the Savior in his bodily presence, right? It's the reading we have. We have it twice a year in the one year, 
It's always on Thanksgiving for pretty much everyone who has a Thanksgiving service, uh, and then it occurs one other time. Nevertheless, just as the 10th leper did not confuse his own Thanksgiving with the prior mercy and gift of Jesus, so we must be beware of regarding our Eucharistic sacrifices as a part of the sacrament itself. Now, when it comes to propitiatory sacrifices, there is only one such in the whole history of the world. Christ's one sacrifice of himself was unique, perfect, complete, and unrepeatable. The book of Hebrews therefore insists that, let's read it together, by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Okay, and that once all sins have thus been forgiven, let's say it together, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Now one may ask at this point, Did not the Old Testament sacrifices take away sin? Well, yes and no. God had, in fact, attached his promise of forgiveness to those sacrifices. And we're studying about that Wednesday morning, if you're free to join us for our study of Leviticus, Exodus 30, Leviticus 17. In themselves, though, they were only, quote, a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. Okay? And that's where we talk about, um, you, know, uh, you know, that which is now pointing forward to Christ. We talk about type, right, and an and, and antitype, okay? In themselves, though, they're only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the reality themselves. It is, after all, let's read it together, impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Now, such animal sacrifices, however, served as types or signs, prefiguring the one sacrifice of the Lamb of God. Yet they were not empty signs, as we have seen. They actually gave forgiveness. So in today's terms, we might say that the Old Testament sacrifices worked somewhat like credit cards. The plastic cards have no value in themselves, but are accepted as payment on the understanding that satisfactory arrangements have been made for a full cash settlement in the future, right? And hopefully sooner rather than later, right? If you know what I mean. Those sacrifices, therefore, which can never take away sins, had to be offered day after day again and again, right? There was a morning, mid-morning sacrifice, burnt offering, and afternoon as well. Okay? Not counting all the other special ones. You want to learn more about that, come join us on Wednesday or email me and I'll send you all the stuff we're studying. To talk now of having to sacrifice Christ's body and blood again somehow in the celebration of the sacrament is to suggest that the one sacrifice on the cross was not quite enough after all. Such a belittling of the Lord's own self-offering once and for all is frankly intolerable. And that explains the Reformation's rather strong and uncompromising language in rejecting the sacrifice of the Mass as blasphemous. And we're going to stop there for today because we are at 10.30. Closing comments or questions? So we learned today, is means is, right? And we we want to be careful not delving too far into the how, and just simply accept what, what Christ says, okay? Uh, we also want to recognize that uh, Christ has offered up himself once for all. That sacrifice has been completed. And so the Lord's Supper has nothing to do, if you will, in terms of 
offering up the body and blood of Jesus, whether it's again and again or once and for all. Rather, it's complete gift. And it's a reception now, a receiving of what he has given to us. Okay? And lastly, why does he do this? Because he loves us. Very good. So this is, this is God's love for you of giving you everything you need to support your body and life. Okay? Uh, we've talked about the term medicine of immortality and how the Lord's Supper is a wonderful, mysterious gift okay? and is there for you. Okay? Um, and uh, amen. Amen. Okay. All right. Hey, uh, have fun this afternoon. Okay. All right. Hey, come on. It's okay. It's okay. Don't don't look at me like that, Frey. <laughs> Let's stand and close with Lord's Prayer. Man, Gina, they're going to run us out of here really quick. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Peace be with you. Amen.